the period 1965 to 1969, when drugs were widely glamorized and when government was responding only feebly to this menace, brought America's narcotics problem to the epidemic stage. In that four-year period alone, the number of drug addicts doubled nationwide. To turn this situation around, I declared total war against heroin and other illicit drugs. I personally shook up the bureaucracy and took steps to create two new federal agencies to deal with narcotics-related crime and with addict treatment. The anti-drug funding, which I have requested in the current budget, is 11 times as great as the 1969 level. We are winning this war. The raging heroin epidemic of the late 1960s has been stemmed. Welcome to the Nixon Now podcast. I'm Jonathan Mavroidis. President Nixon came to office during a time of rampant drug use in the United States, especially plaguing America's biggest cities. For example, in 1960, there were more than 200 narcotic deaths in New York City. In 1970, that figure had risen to over 1,000. Here with us to talk about Nixon's drug control policy is Michael Massing. Massing is the former executive editor of the Columbia Journalism Review and is a frequent editor there and at and other publications, including the New York Review of Books, the New York Times, the New Yorker, and the Atlantic Monthly. He's also the author of a definitive book on Nixon's drug policy called The Fix. Under the Nixon administration, America had an effective drug policy. We should restore it. Parentheses, Nixon was right. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Very pleased to be here. Just to start off, um, just as some background, why did you decide to write this book? Well, I had uh, been working as a, uh, a freelance writer covering um, mostly Latin America. Uh, initially, I was writing about um, Central America in the 1980s when there was uh, so much um, upheaval there, and and then uh, began writing about uh, the drug war in the Andes. Um, and went to Colombia, Peru, and so on. And in the course of my writing about that, I realized uh, at a certain point that nothing we did outside the borders of the United States was going to have any impact on the drug issue in America. And if we wanted to have an impact, it was going to have to be on uh, dealing with the issue within our own country. And um, I uh, was very interested in drugs because that was when the crack epidemic was occurring in the late 80s and uh, became uh, sort of public policy issue number one. So I, I began looking at what we could do about drugs in this country. And um, I decided to take a, a, a dual approach. One was to look at what was going on in the street, and I ended up meeting a, um, a sort of a street worker in East Harlem and followed him around. And then I wanted to look at the uh, history of drugs, how we've dealt with it, and whether there, there was anything to learn. And um, people kept referring me back to the uh, to the Nixon years and said uh, there was a very innovative program that was set up then and um, I thought wow under Nixon I mean that's when uh, people basically uh, think the war on drugs was declared and that it was nothing but a law and order policy and um, 
while there certainly was a dimension to that, I found a whole um, rich experiment that had gone on that seemed to be very successful. And um, so as I proceeded with my book, um, I got very interested in, in what happened then. And in, in the book, I, uh, I have tried to reconstruct it and show how, in fact, um, it, it was and could even still today be a model for how to deal with this issue. And just as a historical background, uh, when did when did drug use uh, explode in the United States? Well, we've had periods of it, but in terms of when we're talking, it, it really during the '60s, I think, um, heroin use um, at that point uh, took off. Uh, there was more of it available, and uh, the, the '60s, uh, of course, uh, drugs drug experimentation became. Uh, a, a major phenomenon, and um, as I stress in my book, it was a, a two-tier a, a two aspect to it. One was the great experimentation that went on sort of with um, mind-altering drugs like uh, LSD or marijuana. Uh, there was a culture around that, but then there was a much more hardcore use uh, centered around heroin, and, and that also got very much centered in our inner cities, and um, the, the, the great uh, deep poverty in urban America sort of uh, overlapped with uh, or provided a fertile ground for uh, hardcore use leading to addiction. And so in, in the mid to late 60s, the problem really took off. What was the, what was the drug policy in previous administrations to Nixon, uh, namely the two in the 1960s, uh, John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Lyndon Johnson. Well, they're really drugs was because the, the issue became um, really became big uh, in the '60s. It was never really a um, major priority. There was the. Uh, uh, National Institute on Mental Health, which sort of looked at uh, the issues related to uh, to mental health and drugs, um, but it was a very small outfit. And so you had, to the extent that there was um, there was a policy, it was much more centered in in law enforcement and in interdiction. Um, the famous Harry Anslinger was the uh, nation's drug czar for decades, and. He had very much a, a sort of reefer madness approach that uh, you know marijuana was the devil's drug and and uh, there had to be uh, every effort made to stamp it out. In terms of sort of the treatment and rehabilitation side, there was just almost nothing that was going on. Um, this was a period when methadone was being developed, actually in the 50s, but it was beginning to be distributed in the 60s, a, a drug that is sort of a, a, a an opiate, opiate that, uh, if taken, can stabilize um, those who are addicted to heroin. And uh, there were some very small experiments going on, but at, at that point, the federal government had certainly no program with, whatsoever for uh, making drugs, uh, making treatment uh, uh, options like that available. In 1968, um, Richard Nixon decides to run for president, and uh, he makes law and order a cornerstone of his campaign. Uh, one of the things that he does is he rails against the Supreme Court and some of its more permissive uh, decisions uh, by namely people like uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren. Um, you know, he, he talks about the problem with street crime and the riots in the cities and how the president is a uh, prisoner of the White House and he can't make uh, domestic or foreign policy. 
Uh, how much uh, time did he devote to drug policy during the campaign as a part of all this uh, law and order approach? Well, the uh, drugs were one of the uh, elements that he talked about in the context of law and order. And um, it was very much a sort of, um, you know, these are, uh, these are miscreants and criminals who use drugs. And, um, you know, the nation was involved in it. The crime was, was really uh, terrible. Um, there were even in Washington itself. Um, there was a, a, a bank robberies going on all the time. Murder rate was very high, so it was something very much on people's minds. And uh, talking about drugs very much um, gave uh, gave uh, Richard Nixon a handle for um, pointing the finger at those who were doing it, and you know mobilizing support among people who were uh, uh, living in fear of um, what was going on in the streets. How much of this was a socioeconomic uh, issue uh, that the people who were uh, using drugs were affected by um, maybe bad policies by the, by the government, economic inequality? And was this something that was on Nixon's mind as well? Well, I mean, you know, poverty um, uh, was uh, a tremendous, uh, tremendously deep phenomenon in our cities. I mean, you look at the Kerner Commission report that came out in the late 60s in response to the uh, riots that went on, and it, and it talked about sort of two societies, uh, rich and poor, and <laughs> very familiar with what we're talking about today. Um, uh, so uh, there was very much uh, a perception of, and also a link, uh, an actual link between uh, people living in uh, these very poor neighborhoods and the crime that was going on. And so there, you know, it was a very easy for a politician to uh, to link the two and to try to mobilize voters by uh, pointing to um, crime and the drug nexus uh, that was out there. Upon uh, getting into the White House in January 69, how long did it take for a drug control policy to take shape um, in, in the administration? And uh, who were the, I guess, who were the main principals? Was he looking within the White House or was he looking uh, at the Justice Department or any other agency to coordinate drug policy? Well, um, at first, uh, not much was done. I mean, uh, there was a huge emphasis on crime, um, so there, uh, there, it was a, a top issue, and so there was a great uh, deal of effort to try to um, bring something under control. So Washington became sort of a laboratory. Um, there were more police added to the streets of Washington to try to uh, bring the crime rate down there, um, but it really. It didn't work, you know. There, 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 every the FBI statistics would come out every quarter, and they kept going up. So, it led to. Uh, it actually was when you had the approach of the um, the specter of the re-election that was coming up, and the if nothing were done to control crime, then. Um, then uh, President Nixon would be vulnerable to uh, to a Democratic challenger. You also had the other key issue of uh, drug abuse in Vietnam among our GIs. There were reports that that uh, there was an epidemic of heroin addiction in Vietnam, and that 
these um, soldiers were going to come back as junkies and that um, they would know how to use weapons. And there's a very, uh, there was this fear that uh, the crime rate would take off even more when these people got back. So this dual, dual, um, two forces joining together to focus the issue of the administration on uh, what to do about drugs, because they're really, uh, you know, in the first, I would say, two and a half years or so of the administration, uh, very little was done about drugs. Um, and then it was basically, for Nixon, you know, it was the, the, uh, his own policy staff in the White House that was critical to everything. So you had um, this young man, Jeff Gonsald, who was a member of his domestic policy staff, a very junior member, very um, uh, straight-laced, clean-cut guy, very conservative, and he very much um, was uh, shared the administration's overall uh, disdain for the whole drug counterculture, um, but the, the interesting thing is, was you know there was a, there was an interest in getting results, and so he began to look around to see what could be done to uh, actually try to bring the crime rate down before the election. Um, and we're talking about a very uh, a narrow window, you know, of like uh, maybe 18 months or so or two years before the election, and um, he was the one who set the process in, in motion. He began going around the country uh, looking at what was being done about drugs, and um, just as I said earlier, when I was doing my research, uh, I kept hearing about Jerome Jaffe and what he did um, as uh, Richard Nixon's first drug director. Don Feld was hearing about his work in Chicago, where Jaffe, who was trained as a uh, psychiatrist, I uh, had set up this citywide program uh, to deal with drug abuse in Chicago, and it was getting results. So Donfeld went out there and uh, looked at it and came back and reported to um, Bud Crow, Eagle Crow, who was his, uh, his senior member, and they got very interested in what was going on out in Chicago. Jaffe, um, you write at the White House request, wrote a hundred and thirty-four page report for a national treatment program. Uh, what, did, what did Jaffe find? Well, he proposed um, doing something similar to what he was doing in Chicago. He um, basically uh, was talking about how if you set up a, um, a uh, treatment program, a treatment widely available, he felt, based on what he had seen in Chicago, that people, that the affected population of drug users would, in fact, take advantage of that. And if he simply put more uh, cops on the street, that that was not going to have an effect if people could not actually find programs that would help them. So he recommended a uh, program uh, on a national level that would build on what he was doing in Chicago to set up a sort of national treatment network, uh, which he felt could be done very fast, which would include methadone. But one of his basic principles is that you just can't provide one modality, as it's called. Methadone was one approach, but you need residential programs, you need walk-in programs, programs, halfway houses, and the like. So he wanted to sort of take what he was doing in Chicago and propose setting it up on a national basis. And how, did, how was the administration receptive to that? Was there, 
was there kind of a divide on this enforcement mechanism, you know, getting heroin at its root, um, the French connection, or uh, putting greater emphasis on treating demand? Yeah, the French connection really, and, and battling it at its source was was a major approach um, that was being done, and there was a great amount of effort uh, in France, which was sort of the, the transshipment point, and also in um, into China, where it was it was uh, grown. So there was a, a lot of emphasis on that, um, but very you know, and and then on a domestic front. Uh, it was basically the police and locking people up and so on. So when Jaffe wrote this report, it basically was ignored. He um, he uh, went back to his work in Chicago, never heard anything back, and he thought that was going to be it because it really was not, you know, it was not a priority. It was fighting uh, fighting the drugs uh, at its source and and so on that got all the attention. And uh, it really was the uh, problem in Vietnam that. Um, the problem in Vietnam that uh, suddenly focused the uh, administration's attention on the issue and convinced them to uh, to um, bring Jaffe on board. And uh, I quote in my book a very interesting uh, sort of moment where uh, where President Nixon uh, says, I, "I don't want to just do this on Vietnam. I want to make a big bold uh, program to um, try to uh, deal with uh, drugs across the country." And so. Jaffe was brought on board to both address the Vietnam problem, but also to um, uh, to follow through on the report that he had done and try to set up a, a national treatment system. And what was the what was the key turning point in the administration's uh, focus, um, both on the executive level and um, in its workings uh, with Congress um, in terms of legislative action? What was the key What was the key moment that um, that brought the administration to change, and and what were the um, and what were the cornerstones of that change? Well, the um, again, it was the the Vietnam issue. Jaffe was sort of he came up with this plan to uh, urine test uh, the soldiers uh, before they uh, came back. Um, they had to uh, do that before they could get on the plane, and if they turned out to have a uh, dirty urine, then they would have to spend more time in Vietnam, and Jaffe reasoned that was going to be a huge disincentive for them to use, and sure enough, the program ended up working. So that that was the cornerstone. They, they set up this office called uh, SEODAP, the Special uh, Action Office on Drug Abuse, I believe, Prevention, and um, for a long time, it, uh, that, that is what Jaffe's office in Washington was going to be, and it, and it just could not get, um, could not get uh, passed. Uh, there was a war with the, uh, the National Institute of Mental Health and uh, divisions, partisan divisions in Washington, and there were a lot of people who were not interested in treatment uh, in the government who you know, wanted to keep the law enforcement approach going. And uh, it was ultimately Jaffe's success um, in dealing with uh, the Vietnam problem that finally broke the logjam and got this special office, SEODAP, um, passed. And once that happened, they went to work in really trying to uh, set up a national treatment program. In June of 1971, uh, Nixon officially declares the war on drugs um, calling drugs public enemy number one in the United States. Um, what were the? What did he feel like were the benchmarks of the war on drugs? And and ultimately, what did he? 
what did he hope to accomplish um, with this official declaration? Well, that's interesting because uh, people look on that speech in 1971 as sort of the, the beginning of the war on drugs. And if you look at the um, language and, you know, that it, he did declare an offensive, um, that is when that, that whole approach conceptually started. But the actual program that he introduced then was very heavily weighted toward, uh, toward drug treatment. Um, uh, that is when um, Jaffe and this new office really uh, got going in earnest and quickly set up a, a treatment network. So there's an irony that the speech that is seen as um, having initiated the war on drugs actually uh, at that point took a very, uh, uh, very much a treatment and rehabilitation-based uh, approach, um, and law enforcement was a very secondary uh, dimension. It was only uh, later, after, uh, and, and I don't know if you want to get into this now or talk about it later on, but, but after the re-election, um, when a sort of uh, that basic uh, goal of getting re-elected occurred and uh, there was um, uh, less of a need to actually deal with the, the practical matter and more an ability to politically do use uh, crime and drugs in other ways. It, uh, it was at that point, I think, that there was a shift away from the, the, the rehab-oriented approach toward a more law enforcement approach. And really the key moment came not with Richard Nixon, but with Nelson Rockefeller, who uh, in January of 1973 gave his... Um, infamous speech about uh, uh, enacting much more draconian laws on, uh, for, for uh, drug crimes. And um, that was when the uh, notorious Rockefeller drug laws were introduced. And, and uh, Richard Nixon, after that, ended up um, sort of answering, echoing that type of policy by taking a much stronger line on drugs. And in fact, a few months after that, if I'm not mistaken, he uh, announced the creation of the Drug Enforcement Administration. So, in that period, in, this, in the first in the first part of 1973, you had both both the Rockefeller drug laws and the creation of the DEA. And that, I think, is uh, really the time when the war on drugs got going in earnest. Nixon himself. Nixon himself supported higher drug penalties, too, and uh, I uh, talk in my book about how Jerry Jaffe made a direct plea to the president through a memo to, well, I don't know if it went to the president or to one of his advisors, but that he felt this was very uh, misconceived, that, that um, treatment remained effective, and in fact, crime was going down around the country because of the availability of methadone. I mean, that is the thing that was so striking and why I, in my book, have, uh, you know, held out this program as a possible model because uh, once this treatment was made widely available, methadone and, and uh, residential community, uh, residential programs and halfway houses, it became, uh, it showed how, how effective this program was. But once the political need for it passed, uh, unfortunately, that was the beginning when the nation began turning away to a different approach. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you put in your title that Nixon was right. Um, did he, uh, despite the shift um, away to more um, punitive policies, were any of these larger goals met? 
Yes, I mean that um, that sort of um, thing on the cover of my book, my publisher put there, and <laughs> we we decided to leave it off in the paperback edition um, because uh, I don't know, it's a bit uh, uh, it's a bit clumsy, and uh, I mean the policy did undergo a shift, but in fact. The network that Jaffe set up remained largely in place, I mean, certainly through the end of the Nixon administration into the Ford administration. And during the 70s, basically, the problem was not a, it was not a big issue. This, it was it really remarkable the way that this system very quickly got set up in cities all over the country. The key was that these waiting lists, there had been these long waiting lists, they basically went away. They found ways. They went to each city. They would show up. They would say, you've got a waiting list. They actually had this thing where they bought up the list. They said, uh, we'll pay you this amount for every person you treat. So it gave this great incentive to these treatment centers to uh, to expand. And it was very effective. And it did stay in place until really when the uh, Reagan administration started. And you had um, that, that is when the, the whole treatment network, the treatment infrastructure that had been set up began to be dismantled. And the shift, which had begun, as I said, with Rockefeller and, and, and Nixon following up, uh, had begun then. But it really didn't get uh, underway in earnest until the Reagan years. How has, um, since the Reagan administration, uh, you know, you write that, um, that uh, I mean, you, you, uh, you believe that we should return back to uh, the initial uh, Nixon policy of drug treatment. Has, since Reagan, have we steered back in that direction at all, or have we, have, have we maintained a more, um, uh, I guess, a greater emphasis on, on punitive policies? Yes, very much. It's been a punitive approach ever since, and uh, that is the thing that has me uh, most um, sort of just um, disappointed that uh, remarkably, in all this time, we have still focused on a uh, the police, prosecutors, prisons as our way of dealing with this. And that's why now, suddenly, everybody is decrying the level of addiction in the country. And um, all these communities, you know, from New Hampshire to New Mexico are decrying how, how uh, there's no treatment available. Uh, and it's a legacy of, of what, ha what began with the Reagan years and has gone ever since. And uh, I basically would uh, hold responsible every administration since then. And only now, and there's been much comment about how because a new type of population, a whiter, more middle class um, population is being affected, that, that people are finally starting to to um, look at alternatives. And it, to me, it's a shame. You know, even now, I feel people are not really addressing what needs to be done. For instance, the, the reporting that's done, everybody's going, oh, look at these, these sort of upstanding people who are addicted to opioids and, and the like. And nobody's really looking at what services are available there or what the policy is. There is a great deal of talk about prisons and uh, how overcrowded they are and the need to move away from that. And that is very positive, but if we're talking about the drug issue per se, the treatment system out there is still totally inadequate. The waste that people have to get drugs, weeks. I mean, drug addiction and alcohol uh, abuse too. They're, they're things you've got to get people right away, and you lose them. And 
now there's uh, this drug, uh, naloxone, that you can, you can uh, administer if people are going through an overdose and revive them, which is great. But it's like, well, then what? You know, you're just going to put them back on the street and not get them into a different type of program. So that's the type of system we had uh, under Nixon and why I said in my book, you know, that we once had an effective drug policy. Now more money is going into treatment, but it's so belated and it's so small compared to what the need is there. Michael Massing, thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank you.